Welcome to Or Something. This is the podcast where we cover the origin story of a certain topic or something. I'm Kristen, and this is Carla. Hi. There's no time. We have to get into this. (laughs) (laughs) We were just discussing the length of our talk. Mine's super long. (laughs) No, we have to get into the Olympics. Oh, Oh, screw topics. Let's just talk Olympics. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. Okay, you go first. Two minutes. I'm going to just... Okay. List everything frantically. And... <laughs> okay. okay. Niskanen, the, I think he was from Finland, the 15K cross-country skier uh-huh. who won gold, but he waited the whole time for every single <gasps> athlete to come to finish. Aww. The last one was a Colombian. He finished like 20 minutes after. Oh my and the gosh. Finland guy gave him a hug and he's like, <gasps> it's about respecting all the hard work that athletes do. And other countries, smaller countries, don't have the budget that, like, the Oh, comp- my gosh, you yeah. Know, the fact the that you even get. made it to the Olympics and that you completed yes. it, like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, tear jerker, he's oh my, my hero. Oh, my gosh. Is my hero. I, that's like, what oh. I love about the Olympics. I, I know. I love that. Oh. All right. Enough of your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> There's no time. Oh my gosh. No, I'm kidding. Um, we <laughs> watched speed skating and it was a final B race, which means like it doesn't count for medals, but they do it so that they can like rank. Right. So they can um, rank properly. Yeah. Yeah. And the girls, they were just, you know, putzing around, mm-hmm. you know, taking their time. And with this speed skating, I think it was 1500 meters. So oh, they yeah. could take their time. And unless it was the longer one yet, I don't know. And they're just kind of the two of them in the front were just kind of chatting, and they were just. And the Japanese skater, she was like, "To hell with this!" She blasted past them all. She lapped them completely once. So the whole time, the whole race, <laughs> she was behind the pack, just drafting, hanging yeah. out. Like, yep, yeah, no. If you want to get the first place, you're gonna have to like catch me, and you can't at that point because yeah, the piece yeah. picked up. Right? Yeah, what are you gonna do, right? <laughs> so the announcers were like, "That's awesome." When have you ever announced like or done a commentating thing for like where the winner is at the back of the pack? Like, <laughs> what is this? So that was amazing. Men's hockey, what a disgrace. The Canadians oh were like, gosh, "Oh yeah. my gosh, Team China played surprisingly well." I'm like, "No, you played surprisingly like garbage. Poorly. Like, what is wrong with you guys?" <laughs> So they're out. Team America. I think America there's a big assumption. Out. I think in oh, Team America's out of the mm-hmm. hockey too. Yes. Oh yes, they both love that. Good me too. Because oh, I went on such a rant this morning. Poor Greg has to listen to me like rant about this, and he didn't really understand like where my anger was coming from for it. And I, so I kept having to like correct it. Like no, it's because of this. So I was getting so mad that men's hockey is such a big freaking deal in the Olympics and especially in Canada here people well before COVID times people would all get together at the pubs and that's Mm -hmm. the only sport that they would watch in the Olympics it would make me so mad because it's literally only NHL players just mixed up on different teams okay good because oh my gosh it makes me so angry I'm like this is the time where you can learn about other sports and like give them the proper like um attention yes. that they deserve like all of these people and and yeah oh it just stopped being stuck in such a stupid rut of, um, i know i have no ugh. patience for hockey in the olympics like i'm proud of the women's team oh my gosh i'm so proud of them that's awesome like, yeah. but i'm just over it i'm like yeah. over all of it because i'm like i mean at least with no. the women's hockey team i'm like good because the women don't get any freaking credit that's true 
anywhere yeah, they else. Any they don't have their own league, and they still That's every right. single time they keep trying to say like, "Hey, can we get We're our good. own league already? Like, yeah. look at this talent that we've got. Yeah, let's make this happen. Exactly. You know, so yeah. that okay, fine, but right." But yeah. still, and that and curling, I'm like, no, oh no God, time. <laughs> just do it fine, like be in the Olympics, but just quietly yeah. and yeah. enjoy the other sports. So exactly. speaking of other sorry, yes. sports, <laughs> the alpine races were epic. Oh. Cross country was epic. Like Amazing. you guys, there's so many different sports. Just watch yeah. them all. Give them all a try because life is too short to be missing out. I'm yeah. telling you, my heart, my stomach was in my throat, like my heart or whatever that is, like the expression yeah. of like where especially with speed skating some of the ones oh my oh gosh, my gosh. it's yeah. just nerve-wracking and I so know. thrilling on the edge of your seat yeah but what is not thrilling oh no can figure skaters <laughs> yes i understand <laughs> it's hard i'm not saying it's you know an easy sport or anything but could they stop at the end where they spend five minutes on the ice emoting and having emotional breakdown <laughs> then they're bowing for 10 hours i'm like they're acting like it's a ballet and they're waiting for standing ovations and i'm like and people give it to them yeah and i'm like you guys this is still a sport yeah. this is the olympics there are people who are doing death-defying jumps and they have to like get to the bottom of the hill and get the hell out of there right they you know barely can't have time to look at their score i watched a little bit of the women's short program mm -hmm. in figure skating and that yeah, i didn't even today. realize the whole yeah <laughs> The whole, like, doping scandal with that 15-year-old oh, Russian girl yeah, that she tested yeah. positive in December, but they're still right. letting her compete. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I won't go too much into that. I feel kind of bad for her because she's 15 and she's from Russia. <laughs> I mean, nothing yeah. against Russia, but well, I mean, the amount of pressure on that girl. By the time you're 15 there, you're 40, so it's Yeah, like... but I just feel like the level of pressure that <laughs> no, she's under yeah. is, like, probably insane. So I feel mm. badly for her, but still, it's like, okay... And then I, when I was watching it, I was like, I haven't watched figure skating in such a long time because it makes me so angry. <laughs> I know. And bored, really. Yeah. Like, I missed all of our men's Canadian, like, yeah. Elvis Stoiko. I know. Um, uh, well, even the, the Browning. Um, yeah. Shailen Bourne and Kratz, right? Remember yeah, their yeah. river dance routine? Yeah. I just, I I'm, that's what I loved about figure skating. Mm -hmm. It's like, bring that creativity back and make it oh, more about that than just being boring and being able to land the quad yeah. every time. Yes. It's like, how about you you mix it or up a little bit? make it epic where you're just doing jump just after jump doing and doing like crazy cool stunts and forget the artistic stuff. Yeah. Where it's like, I love the artistic stuff. Everyone was doing yeah. Gladiator this year and I was loving it because Gladiator music, I'm like, I'll never get that. Oh my gosh, that. it's epic, yeah. And, you know, so in even the girls, there were some, like, fun little moments and creative things. But I'm yeah. just like, at the, you know what? Just get the hell off the ice at the <laughs> yeah. end. Like, okay, I don't have time. You've done your job. Yes. Move on. Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I didn't come here to watch a yeah, play. You're like, this like, isn't just... stars on ice. We don't need it to be <laughs> <laughs> this, like, big thing. <laughs> just right? do your and thing and get off. And save for the gala at the yeah. end. Because they always do the gala. I'm like, okay, yeah. then take your ovations there. But, oh, my exactly. gosh. I'm like, and it's, it's a little bit fair. like the prima donna, like, diva kind of thing, I yes. feel. Like, it's become a bit too much about being famous. And, like, no, you just need to do your thing and get off the ice. Yeah, just like pour out all their emotions and then like okay <laughs> meanwhile people are crashing and like flying all over the place yeah, breaking like near-death experience yeah they're yeah. watching their teammates almost die <laughs> like literally oh my gosh um <laughs> something that i learned this and i didn't delve too deep like i didn't actually look it up or anything i just heard it when they were talking about it is that yep. a new event that they've added this year to the yeah. olympics is the mono sled oh yeah 
I saw a little bit of that. It, which is the exact same. Monobob, right? Monobob. Yeah, whatever the, yeah. the hell it's called. I was going to yeah. swear so badly just now, but like whatever <laughs> it's called. So, but it's just for women and it's mm-hmm. their answer to, because in the bobsleigh, the women only have one event there too yeah. that they were allowed to be in. And now they've yeah. added this other one and they're like, why, why won't you just let us do what the men, the same events the right. men are doing? It's yeah. the same thing as ski jumping. Exactly. Well, so now they they're, like, they're well, in there this mono in bob thing yeah. and they're like, it's so weird to have, it's actually more dangerous with one Woman, like one person mm-hmm. in it because it throws the whole balance of everything off like it's a really <laughs> it's not necessarily like a good thing and I'm like yeah. well, and they're using the same excuses that they did the for ski sport. jumping yeah of like there's not enough women competing in it and they're like that's crap there are enough women to yeah, compete yeah but they don't like, settle stop. and make a more dangerous sport it's like exactly. just I- I'm not even going to talk about that one because there's an athlete <laughs> who I uh, am yeah not happy about <laughs> Carla just crossed her arms in a very like no a very strong opinions on a lot of questions Carla with strong opinions I, I can't even what? imagine <laughs> shocking look oh my god! is it my turn because I it's can channel turn my first. strong opinions yeah. into my I'm pretty sure it's blank your turn screen that's <laughs> encouraging Carla's super prepared <laughs> <laughs> their blank screen. Let me boot my um, my uh, Commodore sixty four up. Just hold on a second. How dare you? It's Commodore eighty five. Can you imagine? I had like a weird like nineties Commodore. <laughs> imagine you had one of those like big wall computers that they always had like in the Archies. Hold on, I have to use this like fill out this punch card or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What am I inputting into the machine? Like, what kind of research is this? Oh, man. So I positioned my mic, and now I don't know where to hold my tablet. It's going to be this awkward, like... That's okay. Figure it out. I'm trying. You're in the Olympic sport of podcasting, (laughs) and you're in the final qualifying round. Are you going to make it? Right. Yeah. Me. I'm in final. Just ramp you up, like, get you really nervous. I have, like... I'm gonna have DNF. Did not finish at the end of my. Yeah. <laughs> and then me, the the um, underdog from Hungary or something, right? Somewhere, yeah, comes in to save the day with my super long. <laughs> topic. Somebody has to win a medal. <laughs> I will. <laughs> That's what oh Canada's gosh. doing this entire Olympics. We're just by default getting medals. Like, kind oh, of. those people crash. Cool. I'll just take that medal. That's awesome. Yeah. Although. <laughs> Team Pursuit Women's Speed Skating, they, that is how they actually won, but it oh, was yeah, a right. fair and score right. thing because you all the pl- skaters have to get across, so right. whoever they were racing, I think it was Korea or Japan, I don't know. It was Japan, I think, mm. and the one girl fell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I thought that was fair, actually, for the first time. And they time, were pretty like, close oh, okay. to getting them, so I'm like, okay, like, they exactly. were putting in, they did yeah. still get, but broke some kind of, of the race, record. You have to stay standing, so yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you have to do, just stand there. Don't fall. Look, um, I just want to talk about the Olympics all the time. No. <laughs> so this is another listener request. Ooh. It is the history of chewing gum. <laughs> it's yeah. not a surprise. But, no, it's not a surprise. None of this it's information so cool. will be I'm, surprising. I'm actually 
Really? I really want to know. Way to make like, our listener feel stupid. None <laughs> of this. Everyone knows this. You idiot. Yeah. <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> I mean, Aztecs and Thomas Adams. I mean, it's a thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> whoa. I have to actually clear my throat beforehand. Ooh. I'm like those pretentious people who drink like. <laughs> yeah, mid-sentence. Mid-sentence. Oh, remember that guy in our class? Yeah, he was such a douchebag. Oh I know. Uh, I'm a feminist just as much as anyone. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that was the that feminist guy, hat. right? I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. Oh, yeah, and the hat. No, yeah. he wasn't the drinking water guy, was he? I don't know. This oh, man. very boring you guys. for our listeners. Look. <laughs> <laughs> they like it when we call out pretentious people, which we've yeah, never done some before. Yeah, okay. guy in our class <laughs> 10 years ago, 15 years ago. <laughs> okay, it's been longer than that. <laughs> As you drink between your sentences. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, the human habit of chewing gum can be found in many early civilizations and independently from each other. So, that's called convergent, convergent evolution. So, it means... Ooh. Um, There's a the term for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. so like when certain animals like don't, like they look alike or they have same traits yeah. or whatever. Um, but it's completely but independent of each other. Yeah. Exactly. That's called convergent <gasps> cool. evolution. Yeah. So that happened with chewing gum. So. I can't believe it's like, you said in ancient civilizations? Uh-huh. Yeah. What? Listen, early <laughs> chewers did not necessarily desire to derive nutritional benefits from their chewable substances, but at times sought to take, like, they sought it out for, like, the taste or teeth cleaning or breath freshening or sometimes medicinal reasons, right? Okay. So I'll, I've read a couple times that basically we just liked chewing gum. <laughs> we just liked oh the chewing. Oh, my gosh. But was it actually, like, gum that they were chewing or they were just chewing, like, well, leaves Would or you let me oh. answer? <laughs> My whole presentation. <laughs> chewing gum. I'm going to interrupt you every two minutes. Chewing gum? What's that? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> so obnoxious. It's like those horrible infomercials. Tell me. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> But I never get around to it. Yeah. Carla. For $29.99, you can hear the rest. So it's existed since the Neolithic period so far. Oh, my gosh. In Finland, they found a 5,000-year-old, like, piece of gum, which was made from birch. <laughs> Stuck to some guy's shoe. <laughs> you mean his, like, fabric boot? Okay. Yes, exactly. Um... It was made from birch bark tar, and it had, like, tooth imprints in it. He was just oh trying to see if it was edible. He's dead now. <laughs> yeah, that's what killed him. <laughs> yeah. It was poisonous gum. Yeah, like an unfinished message on the wall. Don't eat this. <laughs> Don't chew the gum. Yeah. <laughs> and another body beside him. <laughs> yeah. And then Elf comes along and, like, takes the gum. That's one of my favorite parts in that movie. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Um, me too. They say this stuff is more like a tar and not exactly gum. And it okay. may have had medicinal properties. But still, people were just chewing weird stuff yeah. since the beginning of time. Okay, so we move on to the Mayans and Aztecs for our next example Ooh. of ancient gum. And we're going to come back to this. So I'm going to kind of like split it up a little bit. But okay. they use something called... Okay, I didn't look up the pronunciation, but I'm going to say <laughs> chicle. Because... Chicklets. 
<laughs> Keep that in oh, mind. No way! Yes way. Oh, so cool. <laughs> so it's a natural tree gum, um, and it's used as a base for making like a gum-like substance that they either use to chew or even stick objects together. Apparently. Oh my gosh. Um, it's derived from the sapodilla or sapodilla tree. Yeah. And according to anthropologist Jennifer P. Matthews, she wrote a whole book on the subject of. Oh my gosh. Gum. Uh, not just gum. I think it was specifically. Um, the Aztec thing. It, she said it was either a way to quench thirst or fight hunger, she thinks. Oh. Um, the Mayans loved it, and so did the Aztecs. But the Aztecs, they actually had more strict rules or social no- norms around p- practice of chewing this gum. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so only old women and children could chew it in public. Married <laughs> women and young women and widows, they could chew it privately to freshen their breath. And men could chew it in secret only to clean their teeth. But it was considered vulgar if an adult chewed it in public. So men were seen as effeminate and young women were assumed to be prostitutes. So No, no <laughs> way. I what? I mean, I guess we kind of have some of those things now. Like if you're standing there just chomping away on a big right. like piece of bubble gum, right? Like yeah. it looks a certain way. Yeah. But like not to such I a degree. I feel like That's they probably awesome. just got annoyed with like hearing people smacking yeah. their lips and were like, no, you can't chew that in public. That would be interesting. Me that it was such a fe- like connected with women so much though right that's that's interesting to me i know um so again if the word chicle is ringing a bell the <laughs> word is a mexican spanish word which was derived from the ancient aztec language that i kind of touched on in the poinsettia episode um and that word meant sticky stuff so oh my gosh with the addition of sugar coating it became chiclets more on that later <laughs> that is so cool <laughs> i know so chiclets are actually like this chiclet like this gum this like oh, tree gum my gosh i love that i know okay so just going back a little bit the ancient greeks they chewed mastic gum it's like a resin from the mastic tree it's similar to birch bark tar and they think it had antiseptic properties and oh. was used to maintain oral health cool um, so, yeah, people kind of, like, differentiate these tars from, like, proper tree gums, but it doesn't matter. People were chewing, right? Yeah. So, um, there are chewing gum precursors all over the world. So, it's kind of okay. like tattoos. So, people yeah. were getting tattooed. They were chewing their gum. Total they were badasses, rebels, man. Yeah, right? Total badasses. <laughs> <laughs> In China, they chewed on ginseng plant roots. Uh, and Native Americans chewed on sugar, pine, and spruce sap. And there were all these other examples, so check it out on Wikipedia, my favorite questionable research site. Um, (laughs) (laughs) European settlers, they continued the practice of chewing the same spruce resin as the indigenous people in the the Americas, right? Um, And in fact, here's where it starts getting more like, you know, into proper gum. In 1848, John B. Curtis developed and sold the first commercial chewing gum called the State of Maine Pure Spruce Gum. That's a to terrible make it. name. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pierce Bruce Gum. You can make a song out of that. Yeah, true. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so they boiled the resin, they cut it into strips, and they coated it in cornstarch to keep the pieces from sticking together. So it's oh. kind of like when you open like Wrigley's gum and yeah. it has that little powder on it. It's a little powder yeah. on it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So by the 1850s, Curtis had built the first world's first chewing gum factory in Portland, 
Maine. Oh, no. But unfortunately, Uh spruce resin sucks as a gum. Um, (laughs) Tastes gross. Unfortunately, it sucked. (laughs) Yeah. And it like would start falling apart really easily. Nobody wants crumbly gum. That's disgusting. No, that's the worst. So other gum makers, they quickly switched to paraffin wax until they all kind of only flavored, started flavoring them and stuff. But then they... So it was just wax that people were chewing on? Yeah, basically. Well, it's going to be a mixture, right? They like okay. add a little oh, bit okay. of stuff to it, I think. But it's just like, like it developed it at the same time as crayons, probably. <laughs> Let's just probably. Chew a crayon and you're fine. Right? <laughs> so uh, an article said, while Curtis maintained a monopoly on the gum industry for decades, someone else would soon enter the picture. Ooh. Thomas Adams. You guys. Ooh. He is the official gum king person okay so remember this name thomas adams (laughs) he was born in 1818 he lived until 1905 he was a scientist and inventor who at one time worked as a secretary to former mexican leader antonio lopez de santa anna remember from the pb herman movie the alamo i think think that's the name that she was oh my gosh (laughs) and she was chewing gum too yeah (laughs) oh my Um, gosh yes so apparently he chewed chicle gum and as the story goes, during General Santa Ana's exile to Staten Island, like, I don't know why he was exiled, but... And what a place tapped... to be exiled to, Staten Island of all places. Yeah, I don't know what, what that happening? even... I know, I was like, I'm not going to look that up, just <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, there's a rabbit hole we are just going to ignore. <laughs> so he tapped Adams, who was assigned to him as secretary, to help him. He wanted to develop chicle into a substitute for rubber because he believed the riches he stood to earn would enable him to return to power in his homeland. So okay. he wanted a rubber substitute for tires and that kind of thing. <laughs> Here's um, an idea. Let's just chew on it on a daily basis. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> like rubber for tires and gum seem like very separate things. <laughs> well, once you chew a piece of gum for too long, you're probably uh, like, dang. Fair enough. That's true. Indestructible, right? Doesn't Yeah. Uh, disintegrate um thomas adams he tried he tried it just didn't work santa Ana gave up he went back to mexico he got into power some other way and um (laughs) but adams apparently picked up the chewing habit and he decided to turn this chicle thing into just full-on chewing gum like to sell so in 1871 he created adams new york chewing gum which sounds so wrong (laughs) because it's like chicle look it's this and it's just Aztec, like, Mexican. I love that their names for companies were just like, what place are you in right now? Maybe what's your name? Like, and then what the thing is. Like, that's yes. just how it's like when people ma- do their true. like porn names, but it's less exciting than that. <laughs> it's like every single one of them have like the dumbest names. Like, come on, where's Double Mint? You know? <laughs> Look. <laughs> Don't knock Adam's New York chewing gum. Okay. <laughs> so Adams figured out that he could boil the chicle down into a soft dough consistency, then roll it out and cut it into strips, so kind of like what Curtis was doing. Um, he cooled it and packed it, and he shipped the gum to candy stores to be handed out for free with the purchase of candy. It was sold alongside Curtis's wax gum. But kids went wild for Adam's gum, and they demanded more. They were like, yeah, that's Oh, my more. gosh. See, clever marketing on his part, too. And, yeah, he actually was huge into marketing. Um, 
Of course. And I think he's the one who took out billboards and all that kind of jazz that we okay. have encountered before. But yeah. um, in 1871, he patented the first chewing gum making machine. So I'm not entirely sure how the other guy had a factory and this guy has a chewing gum making machine. <laughs> Unless people just by hand were in the factory working Maybe. on gum. Maybe. Yeah, that yeah. can be. Soon after, he created the first flavored gum. It was black licorice. Gross. <laughs> Why would that be your first flavor choice? That's I, it disgusting. Like people went nuts over licorice back then. I'm like, oh, okay. Probably. And maybe it was the easiest way to have a strong flavor Wait, still uh, come through. Who are you to talk, Miss Dutch Girl? I know. Everything but is it's like different. licorice there. That's gross. Okay, so they have droppies, <laughs> but they're like. Yeah. It's salted black licorice, which is totally yeah. a different thing. But maybe that's what they're they like. They're really good. They're gross. I no, don't know. I, I run away screaming. <laughs> it is an acquired taste, I suppose. But I hate <laughs> normal black licorice, but I love droppies. You know, come to think of it, I don't think I've ever tried one. A normal black licorice? No. Oh, a droppy? I yeah. think you have back have in I? the day. I'm sure I made you try I it. I had yeah. the coffee one. The, the coffee ones are good. Those are good. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so he named the black licorice one Blackjack Gum, and it was popular right up to the oh 1970s. Oh, my gosh, Blackjack Gum. Okay. Yeah. And in 1888, his was the first to be sold in vending machines. No way. Oh, there's a whole other origin story. Yes. Vending so it's on machine. my list. Yeah. Right? Damn it. Okay. Other companies soon followed. So chiclets were around, but they were later bought by the Adams Company. Um, and they were, yeah, just literally like the chiclet gum ba- base, and then just the little coating over it and it's chiclets as we know it right oh my gosh and when was um, that sorry that chiclets were i think it was 1899 that's crazy the okay. date uh wrigley's spearmint gum they came up a little bit later but they were hugely popular oh no wrigley's is the master at advertising so he's the one who took out oh i can see that yeah 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 um Guess what, though? What? Dentine gum came out at this time as well. What? Or soon after, like around the time. Yeah, it was like so early. I don't have the exact date. No, it didn't. It was made by a pharmacist named Franklin V. Canning who said his gum could prevent cavities. <gasps> so it's like dentine. Oh. It was like dental, like hygiene, like some kind of like mix. Oh, that's like clever. A, right? Dentine. Dentine. Who would have thought it would be that early? So there's your fancy name that you wanted. Yeah, see? Not there we go. Not Franklin, Dr. Whatever, whatever yeah. of like <laughs> Staten Island <laughs> chewing gum for your teeth. <laughs> okay, so that's not to say around the 1900s that chewing gum was embraced by everyone. Guess who didn't like it? The Christian. Oh. <laughs> well, men started to say that it looked like women were chewing tobacco and that it was unseemly. They oh yeah, almost... well, we're the only ones who are allowed to be unseemly at all times <laughs> with our disgusting tobacco. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They almost created a group to stop women from chewing gum, but it just didn't take, so. What? Oh yeah. Because it's if stupid. It, oh my gosh. It's the dumbest thing. <laughs> like, your, your need for control is out of control when you, I know. like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so bubblegum showed up in 1928 when Walter Dimer or Deemer got super competitive like he was working for a gum some com- gum company and he's like i'm gonna tinker with these recipes until i figure out how to create a product that like can be blown into bubbles oh my gosh and he created double bubble bubble <gasps> gum no yeah 1928 okay 1928 you said yeah oh my gosh that's so, so cool going back to the ingredients and like modern gum as we know it because we're not mm-hmm. all chewing chicle. So until around <laughs> World War II, most gum came from the sapodilla tree that we covered, right? 
Okay. Workers known, I'll just explain a little bit of how it was collected because I thought it was cool. Workers known as chicleros <laughs> would scale them and cut <laughs> zigzag patterns into the bark on their way down. Oh my In response gosh. to the shiving, I love that they called it shiving. It sounds so aggressive. But yeah. They just kind of slashed the tree. Yeah. The trees would secrete a like a band-aid of sorts. You know how trees protect themselves, right? Right. And that was chiclays, which was collected in small pots. And once these pots had filled, the chiclay was dried and transported through the forest by rail and sent to various gum-making companies in the States. Whoa. A little sad fact is that sapodilla trees only produce the gum once they're around 20 years old. And by the <sighs> 1930s, they estimate that about a quarter of the trees were lost in Mexico. So, oh. Yeah. So there was a shortage and I think some new labor laws or something. But basically, the Americans <laughs> were like, were oh, like, I don't want to pay you some money. guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they were like, you know what? Let's just switch the way we make gum. So this took until like by the 1960s. So U.S. by the 1960s. Jeez, US, it took that long. <laughs> I know. I know, right? Wow. U.S. manufacturers had switched to, uh, I don't know how to say this, butadine-based synthetic rubber as it was cheaper to manufacture. So all modern gum is composed of a gum base. Okay. More on that later. Uh, Sweeteners, plasticizers, (laughs) flavors, colors, and usually hard or powdered coating, like some kind of coating. So it's all just made up stuff, basically. Yeah, exactly. Except maybe that gum base, or is that gum base also like an artificial? That's that's the synthetic rubber. Oh, okay. Usually. It's just synthetic okay, so, rubber that you're chewing on. Yeah. Well, a form. Whoa. Okay, so maybe it's not that simple. Okay, so gum base. Um, it says, although the formulas are considered proprietary information for industry competitors, hmm. and the formula is only known to a few individuals within each company. So, like... Crazy. Yeah, so gum base itself, it's like this proprietary... So is they it crazy? their own little, little secret like, Well, and it's like that whole, like, corporate espionage stuff right? or whatever, where they try to find out the formula, yeah. and oh, that's crazy. I know, right? So the main three components of gum is, so gum base, resin for chewiness, wax for softness, and elastomers that maintain its elasticity. So it's like all this crap is basically just making your gum chewy. Yeah. And... To stay chewy, right? Yeah. So a lot has to go into it. Um, while early, I've already covered this, but while early gums were made from tree-based resins and natural waxes, these days both ingredients are synthetically derived from petrochemicals. In oh. other words, the gum you chew is essentially plastic and rubber. So that oh was from <laughs> a really good article from Serious Eats called The History of Chewing Gum from Chicle to Chicklets by Keith Pandolfi. It was a really good article. I think everybody should read it. Awesome. Yeah, he goes through the whole history. It's That's really fun. crazy. But, uh, apparently, gum is so shelf-stable that there is no law requiring an expiration date for it. I'd argue that gum, old gum... Yeah. tastes more hard and brittle even if it's packaged yeah properly yeah and then if it's not packaged like if you leave a piece kind of open it's mm-hmm. really gross and chewing hard right so <laughs> yeah. i mean it doesn't expire you could still technically chew it but it's not as good right yeah so if people are thinking i'm gonna stock up on gum don't do it when it's like if there's anything like there's nothing in there that could go bad yeah, it goes stale-ish, right. but it's not going to be ever bad where, like, it'll right. harm you if you sick. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because it's all fake. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So That's today, why kid, they tell you not to swallow it. I know. 
No wonder your body can't like break it down. <laughs> Jeez. Well, that's rubber. Yeah. So um, the basic steps of like making gum today, because, you know, before it sounds exactly the same as the old method, but whatever. Um, they mix it, the ingredients, something known as a Sigma mixer, which needs the gum, like they heat it up, they knead it, and it's like the consistency of dough again. Then it's extruded from the mixer, mixture, mixer, sorry, rolled into sheets or small blocks, and finally cooled, cut, and packaged. So it sounds exactly okay. the same, just with yeah. lots of machines, right? And nobody scaling a tree first to get the right. fake rubber. Exactly. They, they include that, though, just like... <laughs> because they want to. <laughs> um, just a quick note, please dispose of your gum properly because reading about how gum just sticks like crazy to pavement and mm. concrete and how damaging and costly it is to like fix or like to remove. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's insane. It's gross, first of all, like to yeah. leave your gum everywhere. Like just spit it out in a garbage can. It's not that yeah. hard. And yeah. you don't realize how expensive it is for your city you know, well, I would imagine even like if you were up. throwing it like in like a nature area too, that could be like really detrimental for any little animals or yeah, like it's not going away on its own. It's not going to no. just like degrade. Right it's there for forever. There was one gum, I think. Oh, I forgot. It was a famous brand, and it only lasted for a couple of years recently. It was like yeah, probably because it wasn't would. shelf stable. <laughs> 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 Probably, or tastes like garbage. Yeah. Um, a fun fact, one company recycles chewing gum into plastic. The company is called Gumtech. Uh, that was at the time of the article. Gosh, I don't know if they're still around. It didn't have a chance to that check. that they can recycle it into plastic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. What? Well, I mean, I knew. I never assumed it was it's a of, real like you don't eat thing. It, right, right. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you don't eat it. Like, so <clears throat> I don't know why it's so surprising to me <laughs> that it is just rubber and plastic. Yeah. Like, but of the grade that they could recycle it into plastic. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know why that's so surprising to me. <laughs> yeah. And just the last little thing, there was a really fun article or a list on listverse.com um, called 10 Fantastic Facts About the History of Chewing Gum, which is like, has just some fun stories and stuff. So that's it. That's chewing gum. Oh my gosh. That's so <laughs> good. That was awesome. I it's love funny, it. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, I simple. love that. I love that, that it was chiclets. Like, <laughs> I know. So yeah. I didn't have a chance to look at like, if, um, gum then moved from America to be produced in other parts of the world right. or if they had like independent, yeah, if they had their own kind of. stuff happening mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. 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 But. Oh, my gosh. That was so good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Side note. I was like, oh, General Santa Ana. And, like, I was wondering if that's when that Joel poinsett was around with the poinsettia. Yeah. And I'm like, it's so creepy that we're getting kind of, like, such a, f like, a more full picture of just history in general. <laughs> totally. Right? Because these things are kind of converging, and it's yeah. sort of, like, you know, And you start so to think, strange. like, oh, right, of course they're able to do that now, because that guy had already done this at yes, that point. And, right? Or this is, like, at, you know, I mean, obviously in the 1800s, it was, like, Industrial Revolution was mm -hmm. changing everything. So that's, like, seems to be yeah. the time where... But 
people take that ancient stuff and turn it into something new, right? Yeah. But, but like, most history buffs, they really just stick to, you know, like, history of, like, the Civil War, or blah, blah, blah. Like, they'll stick yeah. to, you know, or just the history of, like, just military history. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, but, my gosh, all this stuff, like, that It's so funny that you stuff, say that, you know? because I was just having a conversation just before we started this recording with Greg about how, like, the reason why I chose to do art history in university was because, like, that I was so close to doing a history degree, but mm-hmm. that you would have to specialize in a specific time in history mm-hmm. in, or, in order to, like, finish and, like, take it yeah. to a certain... And I was like, I don't want to just focus on one point and or like one small aspect of it but in art history you got to learn about all the different aspects that came together to create that scenario to that where that that art came from yeah right exactly and I love that it covered everything that I didn't have to specialize because that to me yeah is yes it's important to specialize and yes thank goodness somebody wrote a book Mm -hmm. about chewing gum right like they have specialized right like that's important as well (laughs) it's just not how my brain works like I have a hard time (laughs) choosing one thing Mm -hmm. right so oh I know and it's just I'm so thrilled that like things are kind of you know yeah it's just so rich now and I'm like that's so creepy like because it's not so linear like we learned in school right yeah and it's just so much more not to be cheesy but like the idea that we can imagine somebody now, like I'm thinking, you know, in the 1900s, mm-hmm. they could very well have been chewing gum. Yeah. You know, and if I see that in a movie or something, yeah. like, I'll be like, hey, that I would have thought accurate. back then, I would have thought that it, like, gum came about in, like, say, the 1950s or something. That's right. when I imagine it. Exactly. Right? I never would yeah. have thought that it was er- any earlier in than that. In the 1800s, you could go all the way back and then, you know... They're maybe getting poinsettias for Christmas. Like, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, making muffins. and Yeah. <laughs> Although that one we don't know still. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So my topic this week is like, okay, you know how every week we're like, oh, I started like this was the topic I chose. And then this was a whole other rabbit hole I could have gone down but I decided not to yes this week I was looking up a different topic and then I saw this came up and I was like okay I'm going down that rabbit hole it's happening wait so it's two topics in one or no. you just ditched so the I old ended topic? up I ditched the old topic but I might actually do it in our fun facts episode for this coming week Ooh. um we'll see but <laughs> um so I this week am doing the origin of love marriages so the origin of why oh. people started marrying for love and not for other reasons, because it wasn't always that way. That's right. Yeah. Be- the reason I wanted to do Valentine's it was... Valentine's Day. Uh, yeah, Valentine's Day. And it was <laughs> the anniversary... Valentine's Day is the anniversary of when Greg and I met. Oh, yeah. And so I was like kind of looking at anniversary stuff and this kind of stuff <laughs> came up. And I was like, oh, that's super interesting. So <laughs> I did your original it. topic I did was like dive. barley. Yeah. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> the barley king was the first one to fall in love. The barley king. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So Stephanie Kuntz is a leading academic in the study of marriage, gender, and family. And she's like got some amazing articles about marriage and the history of marriage and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so to start us off, I've got some really great quotes from her article. Her article title is, Gay Marriage Isn't Revolutionary, It's Just the Next Step in Marriage's Evolution. Okay. 
I thought she she said it really well. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to like take it, Go for it and give her credit. Um, okay, so for most of history, it was inconceivable that people would choose their mates on the basis of something as fragile and irrational as love and then focus all of their sexual, intimate and altruistic desires on the resulting marriage. In fact, many historians, sociologists and anthropologists used to think romantic love was a recent Western invention. This is not true. People have always fallen in love, and throughout the ages, many couples have loved each other deeply. But only rarely in history has love been seen as the main reason for getting married. She goes on to write, For millennia, marriage was about property and power rather than love. Parents arranged for their children's unions to expand the family labor force, gain well-connected in-laws, and seal business deals. Sometimes to consolidate (laughs) inheritances, parents prevented their younger children from marrying at all. For many people, marriage was an unavoidable duty. For others, it was a privilege, not a right. So often, servants, slaves, and paupers were forbidden to wed. Oh, Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) I know, I didn't know that either. Even today, many cultures frown on placing love at the center of marriage. In many peasant and work-class communities, too much love between husband and wife is seen as disruptive because it encourages the couple to withdraw from the wider web of dependence that makes society work. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Because they're like, they they live in much more of a community society. And when you think about it, having the, like, very, because now in the Western world, um, it's very much based on you find your one soulmate and then you marry and you pair off and that you are each other's person. Yes. And you disregard, like, you value that person above anybody else. Right. Right? And to a lot of cultures, that is very disruptive because when you do that, then you're not seeking out that connection and that give and take from other members in the community, including your extended family. Not to get philosophical immediately, but I wonder then if, you know, the lack of community here... Yeah. Leads to those love marriages. That's amazing. Okay, go on. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so that was all quoted from um, Stephanie Kuntz, and her last name is spelled C-O-O-N-T-Z. I definitely recommend, if you guys are interested in any of this, uh, going and seeking out some of her articles, because she's got a ton of great ones. Like, I, that one article I was quoting from, it's only, like, two pages long, but it is phenomenal. And it was, like, it was such a great, uh, such an interesting read, too, about the stance on on gay marriages and how it is. Right. And there was all kinds of gender stuff in there. It was so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I'll go back to ancient times. So the very, very, (laughs) very early precursor to, say, like a man and a woman being together. Yeah. um, Began in the Stone Ages. So pair (gasps) bonding began in the Stone Ages as a way of organizing and controlling sexual conduct and providing a stable structure for child rearing and the tasks of daily life. Really? It wasn't marriage yet, but they paired up to start doing some of those things. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So then skip forward to, you know, I don't have an exact time for this, but obviously not Stone Ages. Um, humans didn't evolve with many physical attributes that helped them survive. But we did evolve with the ability to emotionally bond into communities and families where we became largely inclined to cooperate with one another. Hmm. These communities and families turned out to be far more effective than any claw or fang at protecting ourselves and and ensuring our survival. Do you hear that, anti-vaxxers? You (laughs) SOBs. Sorry to get political, but... 
<laughs> so in early human history, most families consisted of loosely organized groups of as many as 30 people with several male leaders, multiple women shared by them and children. Oh, As hunter-gatherers settled down into agrarian civilizations, society had a need for more stable arrangements. So they weren't moving around anymore. They were starting to farm and stay in one place. So they had to kind of like change that, what was going on. So the first recorded evidence of marriage contracts and ceremonies dates back to 2350 B.C., what? In ancient Mesopotamia. What? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh my gosh. The chewing gum magnet was marrying his son off to like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're all chewing gum at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> She's a whore. I don't want to marry her. 2330? 2350. Wait, 2350. Oh, yeah, BC. I... So 2350. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So marriage's primary purpose was to bind women to men and thus guarantee that a man's children were truly his biological heirs. Mm-hmm. This is implied by the Latin word matrimonium, which is derived from the word mater or mater, which means mother. Mm-hmm. Through marriage, a woman became a man's property. Mm-hmm. In a betrothal ceremony in ancient Greece, a father would hand over his daughter with these words, quote, I pledge my daughter for the purpose of producing legitimate offspring. <laughs> marriage at this time served primarily as a means of preserving power, with kings and other members of the ruling class marrying off daughters to forge alliances, acquire land, and produce legitimate heirs. So it's all about power. It's all about having babies and like knowing that that's your heir and that's your property and that's how right. your wealth is going to be passed down. Inheritances were a big deal. Right. Um, all of that kind of stuff. So that's yeah. where it was for so many years. The ancient Greek philosopher Plato argued that the highest form of love was actually a non-sexual, non-romantic form of attachment to another person, a so-called brotherly love. Plato reasoned that since passion and romance and sex often make us do ridiculous things that we regret, (laughs) this sort of passionless love between two family members or between two close friends was the height of virtuous human experience. And this is why non-sexual love is often referred to as platonic love. Oh my gosh! Well, that was like totally took me by surprise. I know. I had the same thing when I was reading it. I was like, "Oh, yes, of course, platonic." Oh my gosh! So, what? Like, romantic love was not seen as. They, it wasn't. It was never held up as this great thing that it is yeah. right now for us in society, in Western society specifically. Because yeah. um, there was that matchmaking it. show on Netflix of the Indian families, right? And yep. you know, it just made sense the way they described it, where it was like Absolutely. just very much like, are you yep. compatible with like you know, yeah, financially and all this stuff. And I'm like, dang, that's smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Plato and most people at this time looked upon romantic love with skepticism, if not absolute <laughs> horror. <laughs> For a lot of human history, romantic love was seen as a kind of mental illness, which is where the term lovesick comes from. 
<laughs> so people thought that they were ill when you were in love because you acted all irrationally and whatever. <laughs> like oh some people, God. I didn't write this down no. because I had so much stuff already. But um, in China, <laughs> the word for love is actually it's like specifically applies to teenagers. And so if you talk about love like in the adult form of the word, yeah. it's like it's a different it means a different thing. A different thing, yeah. But they have actual different words for it and it only applies to oh that kind of gosh. like oh teenagers because they're kind of sick they have to go through this thing of right being yeah, irrational like for a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's very much looked down on. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of genius. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's where the term lovesick comes from. Um, to show you that you loved your, to show that you loved your spouse was really looked down on for most of history and still <laughs> oh in some God. places. For example, in the second century BC, a Roman politician was expelled from the Senate for kissing his wife in public. This <gasps> behavior was described as disgraceful by Plutarch. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, because they're like, no, you're not supposed to show. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Because you're crazy. Oh my gosh! So I have a couple of little fun facts before I go on to the next part of my thing. Okay, uh, so fun fact: Uh, in Greece, a woman whose father died without any male heirs, she could be forced to marry her nearest male relative, even if she had to divorce her husband first, in order to like protect. Um, the inheritance. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, my gosh. Another fun fact. Wife swapping was sometimes <laughs> a career move. An ancient Roman statesman named Marcus Porcius Cato divorced his <gasps> wife and married her off to his ally, Hortensius, in order to strengthen family bonds. After Hortensius died, Cato remarried her. <laughs> It's oh crazy. my gosh. I don't know what is more <laughs> enjoyable. The fact that they're just so shameless or their names. Hortensius and Porcius. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I swear, if I ever had kids, <laughs> when's this going to happen? <laughs> Hortensius, Porcius. Ancient, ancient Roman names all the way. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so it's important to realize that at this time, polygamy was still very common. Um, Monogamy didn't become the guiding principle for Western marriages until sometime between the 6th and 9th centuries AD. Oh. Yeah. And that was only due to a big battle between the church and the kings, because the kings all wanted a bunch of wives, and the church was kind of trying to control them a little bit, like (laughs) make sure they're not too powerful. So the church wanted to be powerful, so they put certain rules in there of like, right? Oh, I never thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. thought the kings or whatever just wanted a bunch of women, but it's yeah, it would give them the strategic kind of the power, right? <gasps> okay, so in 1184, Andreas Capellanus, who was the priest of Marie de Champagne, who I think <gasps> I mentioned her in my Champagne episode, yeah. who was betrothed at the age of 15 by her father, King Louis VII of France. He wrote a manifesto to true love. He wrote that, quote, love can have no place between husband and wife. And this is a priest talking, by the way. Mm -hmm. And he developed a set of rules which included that people could still feel love, but that they should do it with a mistress or lover rather than their spouse. (laughs) So in the 12th and 13th centuries, according to Stephanie Kuntz, quote, adultery became idealized as the highest form of love among the aristocracy. 
So all of those movies oh. that you watch, like the Marie Antoinette stuff or whatever, where the the kings had like that head mistress, like right. the best mistress, like that was commonplace for us. We're like horrified that that would be yeah. something there, but that was it was expected. Those are the people that you show passion for and love for, and all oh. of those things. Not with your wife. Your wife is there for a different purpose. Right. Yeah. I mean. At the time, like, even then, like, it's like if you were, if these were, like, arranged kind of marriages, like, it was kind of nice that the people could choose, could find an out if they hated Absolutely. their spouse, right? If they're like, I actually think it's, like, king, a great setup. Because if you think about it, <laughs> like, that that passion and that lust and that, like, it is so fleeting. Like, that is not what real relationships are based on. Right. And most people find it quite fun and quite like that, like all of the men or not, I shouldn't just single out men, but all of the people that are in monogamous <laughs> relationships that end up cheating on their spouses. Like that's why, because they seek out that excitement and that yeah. initial thing of like, oh, we were flirting at work and it was so much fun. And then when they do it and then they regret it or whatever, like, or it's, you know, when people are like, oh, yeah. it was so fun to like have something secret and hidden and whatever. Right. right? Like. It, it makes sense, like, that's not actually a terrible setup for a relationship where you have, yeah. and everybody knows about it, so it's, like, an right. acceptable thing, right? Like, church-sanctioned Yeah, like, the, situation. the priest. Oh, oh my god. It's just gosh. so not anything that we think of now, because it's so yeah. opposite of how our society is set up now. I know. Yeah. So, um, in the 16th century, the French philosopher Michel de Montaigne wrote that if, quote, if there is such a thing as a good marriage, it is because it resembles friendship rather than love. He believed that any man in love with his wife was a man so dull that no one else could love him. <laughs> like, like throughout history, they oh, were like, my not having it with love yeah, they really in weren't. marriages. Like they yeah. were like the two things are should be completely separate. They should honestly, not be together. I always think about you know today's age of like just all the heartache of you know not having that like romance or that passion in the marriage, and that's like where all the you know they get divorced. Yeah. And it's just heartache after heartache, and I'm thinking yeah. maybe we should go back to the old thing. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, I know. It's crazy. Um, So for a long time in history, and it's still this way in some cultures, the role of your extended blood family is more important than the role of your spouse in your Mm -hmm. life and your family structure. So throughout history, your spouse would actually be lowest on the totem pole in a way. And your allegiances to other, the rest of your family and potentially even (laughs) like your community would be higher. Comfortable with that situation. (laughs) 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 And then I have a fun fact that's like totally just random and fun. Um, I found like the most interesting stuff about different cultures and their marriage situations. I didn't even have room to write about all of it, but this one was too good to leave it out. So, okay, the women of the Tibetan Na people, so N-A, I don't know how Uh it's pronounced, people, they have sex with men from a neighboring village to get pregnant, but then they go back to their home village and they rear the children by themselves with the help (gasps) of their brothers. There are no active fathers in this community at all. So they go to the other village just to get knocked up, and then they come back, and then they all help to, like, 
to like raise the children, oh but the brothers gosh. of that the women take on the role of being like a a like male a figure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> Oh okay, so now that's all evidence to support the like love was not a part of marriage. If anything, <laughs> it was the, on the exact opposite of the spectrum. It, the the two things like for the yeah. longest time were not a thing. Now to be clear, <laughs> they did say like yes, it was possible for people to have love in their marriages in the mm-hmm. past throughout history, yeah. but that was never the reason to get married. So mm-hmm. it could be that love developed over time or that they felt, right. you know, attracted to their partner, whatever. Like, yeah, it, it exactly. wasn't unheard of, but it definitely was not the reason to get married, and it was yeah. not it was still very much looked down on. So even if you really right. loved your spouse, like that guy who kissed his wife, like in public, <laughs> you never showed it to other people. It was really a sign of weakness I think (laughs) I love it okay so in the 19th century so in the 1800s everything started to shift and love began to have equal importance to economics in the process of spouse selection so prior to that it was economics and like securing the family line and the heirs inheritance all that and now love is starting to have um, Mm. factor into the decision making process right So at this time, men and even some women could find jobs that paid regular wages. Marriage became an option even if their parents didn't have the ability or desire to put up a dowry. This development of a wage labor economy meant that women didn't have to depend on a dowry from her parents and men didn't have to wait for their inheritance from their family. Families were also moving away from farms and into urban settings, so they didn't need as many children. And it was like a big shift in the way that they were living and operating. There was that separation from children with their families, and you didn't need that same... You didn't have land, so a lot of stuff before was very much like, oh, you have that piece of land and we have right. land. If we if our kids get married, then we can share in the bounty from both pieces of land, right? Yeah. Like, So there wasn't as much need for strategy in that sense because of Hmm. the Industrial Revolution and all of those kinds kinds of things. And also at this time, the French and American revolutions had happened and Enlightenment thinkers were promoting the right to personal happiness. So it was Hmm. much more the the pursuit of the independent individual happiness. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this time in history is known as the Romantic Error. Er- error. 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 <laughs> oh, I love that error. slip. <laughs> cut it. Cut that. Cut that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> or it's also known as the age of romanticism. <laughs> oh. Right? And at this time... Of- yeah, I know, right? When I saw that, I was like, oh, of course. <sighs> Yeah. At this time, there was an artistic, <laughs> literary, musical, and intellectual movement that peaked in Europe from 1800 to 1850 called Romanticism. Yeah. And it was characterized by its emphasis on emotion and individualism. <sighs> so now I've got a couple of examples of stuff that happened during that time to kind of just show what a shift it was happening. Um, so this place called Gretna Green in Scotland in 1812... Mm-hmm. It's a village. So yeah. a secret marriage takes place between John Lambton, the first Earl of Durham. He's posh. He has land and responsibilities. 
and Harriet, the illegitimate daughter of an earl who has no money and little social status, but she's super pretty. Um, (laughs) Their families are furious, but the couple is modern, quote modern, and believes that love should come first. So they travel to a town called Gretna Green in Scotland. It's just over the border from England. And they went there to escape the English marriage laws so that they could choose for themselves who they wanted to marry and just do it. Okay. This village ends up becoming synonymous with illicit marriages as hundreds of English couples elope there in the early 19th century. This village stands um, for a big shift in thinking around relationships because so many people were doing it. They're like, okay, we're making this choice and we're kind of bucking the system and and having these illicit marriages. I thought that was interesting. (laughs) That's crazy. And then we jump to London, England in 1813, where Jane Austen releases her latest novel that you might know it because it's called Pride and Prejudice. (gasps) It's true. premise of the book (laughs) it's true so good the premise of the book is that you should love the person you're going to marry um it shows that this new belief is gaining traction the idea of loving who you're married to is something that jane austen believes in firmly in fact 11 years prior to this she had rejected a marriage proposal because quote anything is to be preferred or endured rather than marrying without affection so it is important to note that while love was becoming more important in the decision to marry, it was still important to consider economics. I think especially right. from the women's perspective, like even well, if you yeah. look at Pride and Prejudice, right? Like he still has this high status and yeah. she rejected yeah. him because she didn't love him initially, but she was able but to the like... societal pressure and pressure from the family was still there. It's not like she could just, you know... Exactly. And I don't think, I think if he was poor, she wouldn't have... A, she might not have accepted as readily. Right. Like it's still the economics were still there, and it was still was very important to make yeah. smart decisions. But exactly. it was, it does show that love was factoring in and becoming right. a part oh, of the decision making yeah. process. Yeah. Okay, so that's like the the basic like history of it all. Yeah. Um, now I've got a couple more fun facts. Okay. <laughs> okay. For the most part in Western cultures, the age for a first marriage ranged from as early as 12 years old to as late as their 40s. So first Mm -hmm. marriages can happen kind of anywhere starting at 12. Mm. Okay. But there were some child marriages that happened in the Middle Ages. Uh So when you think child marriage, like, I just think it's super disturbing, like, you know. Yeah. Whatever, right? Yeah. (laughs) For example, in 1552... John Summerford and Jane Summerford Barreto were married at the ages of three and two, respectively. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when people get their dogs to marry each other. on oh my god <laughs> they're like no we want to make sure this goes down so we're like locking it stick. down right now <laughs> oh my god like it's something to be like betrothed or whatever that is like yeah to intend yeah, it where you're like promised were, to them but they yeah, actually the married them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I was laughing so hard when I saw that because I was like, oh, no, child marriages is what I'm dreading, like, seeing some yeah. four-year-old married to, like, a 26-year-old or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, my they're, no, they're both children. 
<laughs> okay, my last one. It's a crazy fact. Not so much a fun fact, just a crazy one. Okay. When colonists first came to America, at a time when polygamy was still accepted in most parts of the world, the husband's dominance was officially recognized under a legal doctrine called coverture. Okay. Under this doctrine, a new bride's identity was absorbed into the man's identity. Okay. The bride gave up her name to symbolize the surrendering of her identity, and mm-hmm. the husband suddenly became more important as the official public representative of two people rather than just one. Oh. The rules were so strict that any American woman who married a foreigner immediately lost her citizenship. What? She was no longer considered an American if she married a foreigner. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that what? insane? You guys, I was going to go down such a rabbit hole of looking into <laughs> women's rights. And I was like, I can't do this. It's terrible. <laughs> it was like women were property. It was just insane. Ooh. I didn't go like when I was researching this, like I found so much about all the different marriage. Um, yeah like customs around the world so in the eastern world it's much more common still for there to be arranged marriages i mean india is i think famously known for for that Mm -hmm. still being quite a thing there oh yeah but i think there now it's becoming where they can they can choose to marry do a love have a love marriage or have an arranged marriage Mm -hmm. depending of course on their situation um but when i was researching this a lot of stuff came up of that seemed like it was like websites kind of helping people decide like should you what are the benefits of a love marriage like versus an arranged right. marriage yeah right and it was just such an interesting thing that in the west we focus so much on just one person and this soulmate idea well i think the huge uh, thing especially like and i'm not gonna bring it up too much but like just with the you know this vaccine thing it's very mm. much like you know uh that f- they people want that like freedom to think for themselves it's like the enlightenment thing or what, mm-hmm. what you were saying the romanticism of like yeah you know wanting to be independent and mm-hmm. have the right to feel whatever they want and do whatever they want and i f- think i've been thinking about this a lot where you know is it better to do things for the greater good so thinking back on those communities where mm-hmm. They would just raise the kids together and it was mm-hmm. just this joint effort. And it was like, put your emotions aside for a minute. Put mm-hmm. yourself aside for a minute because we're not going to succeed if it's just all about you. Yeah. And here it's such a gong show of like me, me, me. Mm-hmm. But I can't criticize that entirely because I, I do believe in the freedom to, you know, express yourself to be and able choose to do, whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. Right. But yeah. how do you, you can't, but how it's do almost you like I'm realizing it? you can't balance it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you can. It's so the same it's like thing with, crazy... like, capitalism of, like, anybody can, you know, right. rise up. It's like, yeah, but not everybody should be, like, you can rise up, but if it means that you're you're screwing other people over in order to get to the right. top. Like, there has to be a limit to everything, right? Like, everything yes. within reason. It's interesting because as the years go on, I feel more and more strongly about creating that village idea or almost like a commune idea of like mm-hmm. gathering the people around you that are like-minded, that you can support each other and get certain things from yeah. each other. It's interesting because like my friend Kayla and her boyfriend, um, Kayla and Greg 
think very similar similarly like they're very mm-hmm. similar personality types and Brennan yeah. and I have very similar personality <laughs> types but because it's like the male female brain kind of thing like the right. four of us together actually really balance each other out because <laughs> if I'm like oh the like Kayla and Greg don't get what I'm talking about I'm like Brennan will get what I'm saying with this thing right like he'll get yeah. this reference if I throw it out and say something right like yeah. he'll pick it up but it and it's that thing too where I'm like I think that that's kind of what we need in life is you have to have that balance of people around you because mm-hmm. you can't get everything from one person it's just not realistic oh, for sure right yeah but then oh, you're no. made you're made to think like oh like you 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 look at your relationship and think well maybe this person isn't my soulmate then like right. did I make a mistake because the in this one moment they're not saying the thing that I need them to say or doing exactly. the thing that I need them to do and you start questioning all this stuff and it's like no that's not that's not fair like that's not and it's usually role. probably why there's like you know they're uh, with like adultery type stuff it's like you can imagine there's probably you know the people that you're like the mistresses or the whatever the male version of that mm-hmm. uh, that is um lovers i think they call it yeah oh right that they would be the most willing to just tell you what you want to hear exactly and what because you want because it's that it's that little snippet of time you know? there's nothing else depending on it there's no yeah. so you know the livelihood might not be good and the for children you. like the, nothing else is right. depending on it yeah, it's so ego even if boost, it's that right? momentary thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or if like yeah. you just, you know, want to be comforted a certain way or like exactly. you know, be told you're beautiful, whatever. It yeah. doesn't matter. It's yeah. like they will do it. Yeah. But yeah, it's just such a tall order because you have the romantic side of things, you have yeah. the caretaking side of things, you have the sexual side of things, you have like um all the, the practical social side family, of all the practical yeah. stuff. Having to do and chores together, much. run a household. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. It's too too much. And it's yeah. like so I mean, I don't know if I'm like I'm not really anti-monogamy necessarily. It's no, me neither. I just think there's a different way should... to live life where you could you could live it in a way where where it's a little bit more open. But I do think that right. that's what we're. It's interesting thinking that. Um, I was talking to Maddie because I was so excited. We recorded our podcast, uh, How to Be Me Again, yesterday. And we were mm-hmm. talking this month, our experiment, self-care experiment is how to be more romantic. So I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I've just been doing all this research. So we had to talk about it. And we were talking about how... Um, and now I forgot what the hell I was going to say. <laughs> Damn it. It was good, though, you guys. <laughs> go listen, listen to that episode. Well, then, no. yeah, listen to the but, episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> What the hell was I going to say? <laughs> anyway, okay, whatever. I'll think of it at some point. But the one example that I didn't write down because I couldn't find it again, and then I started going down this like whole rabbit hole <laughs> about it, was um, the way that the Eskimo cultures. So I don't mean Eskimo in the way of like like that's how they term themselves. It's not mm-hmm. in the derogatory way that people right. like oh, call okay. Eskimos. So in that culture, there was. A huge like their history was of having co-marriages so couples would be like married almost all to each other like four oh. people or six people like I don't know I can't remember how many people they had but it was a co-marriage so they all would be sleeping with each other it was all fine there was like no jealousy oh. yeah and and it didn't matter who their kids came from like it didn't matter who the actual uh, father of the child yeah. was they had a child they all raised it together and quite often in that culture if there was somebody in the village that they weren't able to have children they had none people right. would just give them a kid <laughs> like give them one of theirs Aww. and be like here you can raise this one it's fine it's so sweet it's like the you ducks know? and they just or the goose or i don't know which bird it is <laughs> no not ducks ducks are vicious the geese they'll like take adopt babies just readily oh, really? like Aww. yeah 
just be like, just come with us. It's Meanwhile, fine. with mallards, you guys, <laughs> I witnessed a mom trying to drown a, a little lone chick oh, that wasn't no. hers. Yeah, it was brutal. I was so mad. You, I interfered hardcore. <laughs> I threw rocks at her. I'm like, not to hurt oh her, but just gosh. to scare her. Yeah. I had to separate the two, and the poor chick didn't know. So... <laughs> Yeah. Oh that my was gosh, that's topic, terrible. But... <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Trauma. Just, oh my gosh, talk about it. That's insane. <laughs> Stupid ducks. They're so cute, the little bastards. They're a-holes. The, yeah. the males, they like very <laughs> aggressive so with the, the female. Models. <laughs> well, disgusting. that was the thing too. In some of that stuff, like <laughs> in some of that recent that article by Stephanie Kuntz. I, yeah. Oh my gosh, I wanted to just read the entire thing to you guys because it was like, it was so good. Because <laughs> she goes through the whole history of how gender um, was connected to marriage and like the idea, the shift between, like back throughout history, um, I mean, women were seen as the property of men, but in right. marriage. And yeah. But the men were seen as like the king of their kingdom. Their family was their right. kingdom and the they kingdom. were the the king. And they right. were expected to enforce everything by by force, like that whatever right. would be done. But like they also provide for their But that like, came later subjects, where it was no? in a way, yes, yeah. Kind of? No. Yeah. Yeah. Well they're kids, right? Yeah. Yeah, for mm. sure. They were to provide. Yeah, yeah. But it was much more like that was, the, yeah, like it's a contract, right? Where it's hmm. like, this is what I'm giving you. I'm protecting you. I'm providing. I'm doing right. this. And this is what right. you have to give me, which, I mean, mm-hmm. sex was a big thing, which is why until the 1970s, rape between a husband and wife, like a husband raping a wife, was not considered rape. They couldn't charge yeah. him f- with anything. Like, Man. because the women had no rights in that way, because right. it was a contract, they were expected to give right. them sex. Like, that was part of them fulfilling Man. their contract. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy. Like, insane. that article is what so good. Rich it's topic. two pages. You guys should go and read it. It's Stephanie Kuntz, and it's called Gay Marriage Isn't Revolutionary. It's just the next step in marriage's evolution. Oh. <sighs> It gave me such food for thought. It was so exciting to just be like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. She knows what she's talking about. And it was, it was really fascinating. Just like, really like. It was so crazy. And you can't simplify it. You can't just, no, you know, like, yeah, like I'm majorly simplified, like the, the shift, like I could have gone even more into like a bigger shift. And then, cause it shifts, it constantly is shifting throughout history. But we can't just sit here and go, oh, what idiots. Like, you know, it's all about love and how could they, it's not that simple, right? I love it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Good job. I just thought it's so cool (laughs) to look at things from a different way and think, oh, there is a different way of doing this. And, you know, I don't know. I just think it's, oh, that's what I was going to say, is that I think it's interesting that um, now we're moving towards, with, like, the newer generations, who there are, like, all the polyamorous people, like, that's becoming much more acceptable and much more Mm -hmm. um, pervasive, and open marriages and yeah. like thruples and like all that stuff is becoming yeah. a lot more common and I think it's interesting that like right now having that like having 
marriage be so romantic in the West mm-hmm. and so focused on love and soulmates and whatever. Yeah. It seems like almost like a trend right now. Like this is the trend. And I think it's shifting. Yeah. Like this next generation is shifting into something else. It's probably going to go. I think they're missing human connection, another, you know? Yeah. All the digital stuff, a lot of people are saying, I'm logging off and I, my life is so much better. And I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, you know, so you're gonna go live. No, next I'm gonna week, go. <laughs> yeah, you'll be recording from your commune with your like, yeah, exactly. Husbands. <laughs> well, I don't Queen want more Kristen. husbands. Actually, <laughs> one's oh, yeah. plenty. Thanks. He, he's oh great, gosh, okay. but like, you I don't need another one. Of, <laughs> <laughs> just adopt a bunch of random kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on my gum paste farm. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and that's what I should do. Gum Child paste. labor. There we go. Gum paste. <laughs> That's going to be my gum name. <laughs> Kristen's Gum Paste from I don't even know what gum paste Staten is. Island. I don't know. I got to move to Staten Island. I'm going to get exiled Island. there. <laughs> what is that? I want to know that story someday. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Why? Why Staten yeah. Island? And next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Carl will be recording from Mexico trying to figure out. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, we will talk to you on our fun facts episode on Monday. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys. Oh, yeah, we're on. Um, and geez, I'm forgetting all the stuff I'm supposed to say. Uh, we're on Instagram. We are at podcast.or.something. And thank you so much to our listeners who have suggested topics. They were awesome. That chewing gum one is like genius. Oh, I know. That was so good. I loved it. I loved um, it. So keep them coming, you guys. That was that's really cool. We love hearing from you. And um, <laughs> We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.